When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. It's Stangy Law Firm. We represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. The Partially Examined Life Philosophy Podcast Part 1 episodes are designed to be self-contained, fully satisfying experiences in themselves. But for hardcore philosophy fans, we record for another hour or so to release behind our various paywalls to folks that pitch in to help us make this show. What you're about to hear is a preview of one of these Part 2 episodes. We hope you enjoy it. Hey, this is the Partially Examined Life, episode 278, part two. We've been talking about Derek Bell's Faces at the Bottom of the Well, The Permanence of Racism. I thought maybe we should turn to chapter three, the Racial Preferences Licensing Act, which seems to be the most legalistic of the chapters and gets into this. We were talking about his his cynical take. So this is Geneva, his, his uh, alter ego, his muse, suggesting that maybe we just give up on having a legal restriction against race-based discrimination and instead turn it into an economic thing. That we say, if you would like your business to be allowed to racially discriminate, you can do that, but you have to put up a sign that says, we definitely discriminate. And you have to pay into a fund that will go to like black colleges and other you know things that basically reparations. This will both serve to punish by reputation the people who would be doing this sneakily, but will also make it much easier to prove discrimination, you know, so that if you're if you don't have one of those signs up, you don't pay the taxes, and you know, somebody accuses you of discrimination, the onus will be on you to defend yourself rather than, you know, the very high standards of proof that currently make prosecuting this thing very difficult. So this is just at least an idea that he throws out there through the, his alter ego. To then argue with. I don't think he's actually suggesting this. He's not, he's not suggesting it at all. No, but this is the thought experiment that I think resonates most effectively. I'm surprised that, you know, from a teaching perspective, this is not the one. I, I know the space traders, because you don't know what the space traders are going to do at the end of the day. But this one is very clear cut. And it's like, it's so pragmatic to some extent in, in its approach where it's like, well, if we're just going to like lay it all bare and let people say what they are, what they believe, let, let's let the market decide. That's really what this essay is about. Let's let the market decide. Is there enough racism out there to support racist businesses? And as a kind of squashy liberal of my own self, this is the story that appeals to me, right? Like, let's let, I will not patronize that restaurant because they only accept whites, right? Like living in Austin, this is the kind of thing where you think like, oh yeah, this could actually work. And those places would go out of business and people would see the error of their ways and everybody would throw their money virtuously into, into <laughs> black owned businesses or businesses that, that allowed mixed patronage. And it's the one that just this one stabbed me in the heart harder than the rest of them, I think. Then that, that's for precisely that reason. And, and hiring. It's not just patronage because a lot of businesses, like it's in their economic interest. 
to allow whoever wants to be their customer to come in as possible. But Bell says like, but when is the last time you've seen, you know, a black waiter at one of these fancy restaurants? Like that they're, they don't have a hard, fast, no, we will hire no blacks. They don't have a policy that's stating that, but just through their preferences of like, who's going to work out best in the faculty, in the, in the organization. Like it just ends up being, even if they don't have any explicit bias that they're aware of, this is just the result. But let's be clear, that's the result nowadays, but the, in the R- Racial Licensing Act is you wouldn't be allowed to do so. So if you get a racial preference license, you have to hire race-based and you're not allowed, you have to regulate your patronage that way. Mark, you said that uh, you thought it would stigmatize it. I thought it would legitimize it. I mean, I thought that was the idea was to legitimize it. But so explain what you mean, Dylan. Why do you think it will legitimize it? Because the way that I read it, and most people read, they kind of agree with Mark and Seth. What do you mean by that? So it will stigmatize it in a certain way, is that it'll clarify things. I don't know that Bell or Geneva think that it will actually lead to the getting rid of it. It just makes things more plain. And maybe it does, ultimately, that people have to confront their choices more. Maybe that's sort of the implicit thing. But I guess... I think you would certainly end up with lots of holdouts. It's like pollution credits, right? It's exactly like pollution credits, Okay, And so what you're going to do is you're going to foster a kind of cultural, social pressure against pollution. It's going to make it in the economic interest of certain companies to not pollute and to you know make it part of their long-term plans and stuff like that. But then you're definitely going to have holdouts. Maybe that's part of the point that you're never going to get rid of the holdouts. And so you'll be more effective about getting rid of making real change by monetizing it. By monetizing them, by making it, it's like make weed legal so we can tax it. Well, make discrimination legal and then we can tax it and pay specifically into an equity. Yes, and the other piece of it is that you can get punished and put in jail for discriminating without a license. That was the really powerful thing to me is that you would get thrown in jail if you were discriminating without a license, like if you were doing anything else that is legally regulated without like driving without a license. Not allowed to do it. The quote at the beginning of the chapter is pretty much illustrated by the entire thing. I mean, so the quote at the beginning of the chapter is racial nepotism rather than racial animus is the major motivation for much discrimination Blacks experience. I mean, this story, it just nails that on the head. Like, it's just simply taking that idea and saying, let's see how it would play out. And I think that's the reason why it hit Seth so hard is because... I think that quotes onto something. I really don't think anymore. I mean, yeah, you got your KKK and, you know, your neo-Nazis or whatever. But really, the real thing that really impacts people of color is just the fact that they are just not hired. They're just not put in certain kinds of positions, you know. And so that adds on to the economic part of this whole piece, right? And so, again, it's not that there are these rabid racists behind the scenes pulling the strings and keeping the, you know, the black man down, as my uncle used to think. But rather, it's just that people just hire who they're comfortable with. And they put who they're comfortable with in certain positions of power. And then you still get the same result, even without the animus. Yeah. So the connection to me was around this like conscious consumerism. It's the idea that within the capitalist system, you can make choices about where to spend your money. And by making that choice, you know, it's like, oh, it's, Wood toys for your kid made from sustainable, what's that, Melissa and Doug, you know, I think is the brand, Yep. as opposed to just plastic 
Ken and Barbie dolls that are mass produced, you know, that you're going to throw in. The idea that you can spend your way into virtue or spend your way, what he's pointing out here is that, and Mark, you talked about the liberal criticisms. This to me is a criticism of the liberal viewpoint. There's a folk singer back in the day named Phil Oakes that was immortalized in some respect by Billy Bragg, but he has a song called Love Me, I'm a Liberal. And it's all about like, you know, I cried tears when this guy was shot and this. But if you ask me to actually do anything, you ask me to actually show up and be present and then I'm busy. So it's like, I'll give all the money you ask for. Just don't ask me to come on along. And to me, this essay was about the idea of trying to rectify the situation economically by appealing to liberal interests. I know you're thinking like, well, it would be black only or white only, and that that appeals to the conservative side. But I think from a liberal perspective, to some extent, what this makes me think of is the idea that we could spend our way out of racism. Conscious consumerism to end racism, just like fair trade coffee or something like that. And it was devastating to me. Wow. Yeah. Why devastating? Because I'm an armchair liberal who throws my money around and not so much my feet. So you felt convicted by it then? Totally. You thought it would work. No, no. I consider this a direct criticism. Attack on you? A direct conviction. Absolutely. Yes. Wow. Seth is, is having a moment here. This is good to hear. Listen, I'm constantly challenged. tears in your beer? Yeah. <laughs> Wine. <laughs> Wine, not beer. Well, because you're an ultra-liberal. You, That's you're not a, a, exactly. <laughs> I was thinking when we were talking earlier in the space traders about virtue signaling and that there's sort of two prongs to that criticism, that you're merely virtue signaling. Is One is you don't actually have any skin in the game. So exactly what you're talking about, you're waving the flags, you're saying the things, but like you don't actually give a crap and you would not do it if it, if it cost the least bit of inconvenience to you. But I guess I also hear about people would call like this whole podcast, that fact that we're devoting time in our schedule and our time reading this book, like, oh, that's just virtue signaling too. In other words, that's kind of like the, you're just doing it because you're selfish. Like just, you know, the kind of criticisms that anybody gives of any apparently selfless act is like, they're just doing it because it makes them feel good. Or, you know, you're just doing this because it's in vogue, you know, something like that. But according to Bell, you should be looking for self-interested ways, right? If people are always going to act- In their own self-interest, right. Right. Civil rights are only going to go forward when white self-interest is promoted. You should be glad that there is like, even if it's self-deception, that there's this virtue signaling that it's in fashion to actually do like that. I would vote right now for reparations, things to come out of the, the public treasury and address a lot of this, you know, more fundamental stuff. So Seth, you're saying throwing money at it, that doesn't accomplish anything, but I feel like throwing money at it was like half of what Bell is asking for. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminedlife.com slash support. Thanks for listening.